Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. We are now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, some crazy casting news coming out of Days of Our Lives. First, Galen Gehring revealed on a podcast that he was wrapping up his time in Salem and had a couple of weeks of shows left to do. Now, Galen started on the show in 2008 after wrapping up a nine-year run on Passions. You know, he admitted in the podcast that it's nerve-wracking and exciting. Um, I've been told that it may not be a permanent exit, and there's a chance that we could see Rafe back in town. Now, Galen isn't the only one who's out. Casey Moss, who has played JJ since 2013, will also wrap up his run on screen very soon. And Freddie Smith revealed on his YouTube channel that he and Chandler Massey were both leaving as well. Um, Sonny and Will are, you know, super popular characters on the soap, so it's definitely a surprising twist there. Uh, Freddie said that their last day on the show will be September 18th of this year. That's a lot of changes. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Galen pop up on another show. Like, mm-hmm. you and I were talking about how we could see him joining the Rosales clan on YNR, for example. Uh, that's where his former Days brother, Jordi Villasuso, is playing Ray. And Sonny and Will are such a beloved and important couple in the history of Days, uh-huh. both because they are each the son of a legacy super couple, but, but because they broke new ground in the genre and were the first same-sex male couple to wed. That's a big deal and uh, personally significant to a lot of fans. So I certainly hope that their final months are satisfying ones for the audience. (laughs) You know, that's funny because with the day's schedule, you know, we have so much time to wait until we actually see what this finale will be. I mean, here we are in February and they're not leaving until September. So I imagine there's a lot of territory to cover before we even get to their exit. I mean, for sure. I mean, poor Will is still very much behind bars on screen. (laughs) So it does seem like we're a good many beats away from uh, However, they do wrap up. But there is another huge story on daytime that is about to reach its climax, and that is the secret of Wiley's paternity on GH. Uh, As we preview in the new issue, the truth is going to come out this coming week. Uh, You will, of course, have to tune in to see how it all goes down. Can't wait. uh, When I asked the show's head writers why they felt that now was the time to blow this secret up, it's like almost, you know, coming up on two years soon. Uh, They had an interesting response, which was that 
on the one hand, if they were writing the show in a different era, they would love to keep the secret under wraps for even longer. Like we joked about the truth maybe coming out at Wiley's high school graduation or something. <laughs> um, but recognizing that today's soap audience is understandably a little less patient than they were back when fraternity secrets sometimes were held for a decade or longer. Michael um, Horton, if you will. <laughs> exactly. Michael, Michael Horton. Shout out to. Uh, they felt like they really had all the pieces in place to blow this secret sky high and start dealing with all of the fallout, uh, of which there will be a whole lot. Um, and the key pieces were that Nell is out of Pentonville and Lucas is out of his coma. Well, it must be February sweeps because that's not the only story that's set to explode. Daisy's Gabby will finally get busted on her wedding day to Eli, no less. And the truth about how she blackmailed Lonnie into dumping Eli and threatened Julie's life will all be exposed. Um, there's also another story that's going on on Days. The Hortons will find out that Bill has died, which is actually how the show is going to mark the 50th anniversary of Bill Hayes playing Doug. So if you'll recall, Doug and Bill were prison cellmates, uh, much like Will and Ben. <laughs> And that's how Doug made his way to Salem after he was sprung. And I imagine we will see some fabulous flashbacks there. What an amazing milestone. Like, it, it really is only possible in daytime television for someone to hit the 50-year mark. Mm -hmm. and, and what a thrill I think it will be for the fans to get a walk down memory lane where the character of Doug is concerned. I am always in for a flashback show. Uh, I'm so glad the show is taking the time to honor Bill in this way. Me too. Like, he couldn't deserve it more. Um, He's amazing. Yeah. And and obviously, sign me up for Gabby getting busted. I cannot wait to see what Camila Banas does in those scenes. I am expecting, like, serious fireworks all over the place. Me too. Um, you know, there will also be fireworks on Bold and Beautiful when Thomas surprises his whole family uh, and Zoe <laughs> when he proposes to her during a Forrester family gathering. Um, and then, of course, there's also the big tribute to Eric Braden on YNR. Um, so he's marking his 40th anniversary on the show. And in Genoa City, Newman Enterprises is turning 50. Uh, so we'll see the return of Eileen Davidson's Ashley, Meg Bennett's Julia, who actually started on the same day as Eric in 1980, uh, Robert Peruca, is Victor's brother, Matt, and Robert Adamson as Noah. Um, there's going to be some amazing wardrobe and set design surprises to mark this event. So this is shaping up to be a pretty exciting sweeps month so far. Absolutely. Uh, and where GH is concerned, expect big rumblings in the Quartermain Mansion, not only due to the Wiley reveal, but related to the matter of Neil Nell's uh, ELQ shares. Well, our guest today is one of the residents of that mansion. It's Lisa Lo Cicero, who has played Olivia Falconary Quartermain since 2008. So let's get her on the phone to talk about her life in soaps and see what she has been up to in the Q-Mance. Hi, Lisa. Hey, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. I was just, uh, just, just, just dropped a little one off at the preschool. And it was a good one, which which portends well for the rest of the day. So I think it's uh, it's going to be good vibes all the way along. Awesome. Well, lucky us then. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, of course. I feel a little bad. This this is like the first podcast I've ever actually done, and and given the number of podcasts that are out there, it feels. Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit late to the party here. Well, this is really the only one to do. So exactly. Yes. I mean, no, I hear you. you know, I hear you're, you. You're starting right at the top, so it's downhill I, for you. Morning. I you. love it. Your first it. and last podcast ever. <laughs> you, you call Steve Burton and tell him. <laughs> uh, well, okay. There's this good too. <laughs> um, now, so you have a very interesting story in that you are on General Hospital and actually were a fan of General Hospital when you were yes. younger. So how did you even get into the soap? 
not unlike what so many people tell us when we go to the events and when we interact with uh, with with viewers. Uh, I started watching as a little girl with my grandma, my grandma Jean. She's still alive. She's ninety seven. She's kicking it like oh, still driving to the yacht club to win bowling trophies uh, every day. Um, but she back in the seventies would have been sitting on the sofa doing needlepoint, drinking tab from a can with a straw and <laughs> smoking. So I sat next to her, um, and watched and I, and I remember like the, the things that I remember distinctly were like an earthquake in the hub. And in my imagination, it's like Jesse and Steve and like everyone is like shaking around and whatever. In my imagination, it was black and white, which it probably wasn't, but those are, <laughs> that's, that's one of my earliest memories of watching, um, of watching uh, General Hospital. And, you know, I, I guess I, you would say that I was hooked because I certainly have all the teenage memories. I remember like baby Stephen turning the, the like drugged drink on the Lazy Susan, mm-hmm. which I've always gone like, I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that writer's room. We're like, I've got it. A Lazy Susan. <laughs> the baby will come in. And turn the tea tray around and give the bad drink to Heather. <laughs> and then years down the road, Heather will uh, poison that baby's girlfriend with an enormous roadrunner-sized ballast of LSD, and she'll become psychic. <laughs> um, but, th- th- like, those were the stories. I mean, I, I still remember, and there is a certain thing as a, as a young person watching those because because it has that sort of quasi aspirational, which is sort of, you know, like the underpinning of all soap operas, but you, you do, you, you, you I think subconsciously took a lot of, of, from soap operas about like, what did, what were the mysteries of, of like how adults behaved and whatever, which probably it's not the first place you want your kids to get those lessons. <laughs> but I do know that I was watching ABC soaps as a very young kid, like I, I, in the summertime, I would, I guess I must have spent the entire day because I know I watched, I would watch Loving. I would watch, I believe, Ryan's Hope. I'd watch The Edge of Night. I would watch All My Children. I'd watch One Life to Live. And then, of course, General Hospital. I remember watching. You're a company girl. Dude, yeah. I, I know, I know. They called me in one of them, but it might have been you guys. Someone called me ABC Soap Stalwart. <laughs> I'm like, ABC Soap Stalwart. That does not sound like a, it sounds like you like gout or something. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds like. It sounds, it does bunions. sound contagious. I must admit. Yeah. It's yeah. It sounds not, not like something you want to have or be, but I remember very distinctly, which I think is interesting because you, you never think of where a soap opera actually the very beginning of it. I remember watching the very first episode of Loving. And it was kind of random. Like it came on, it was like, it was like this new thing, this new world that had been created. And there was like a girl named Lily who played the piano in a white dress with like a crystal unicorn. And her dad was looking at her through the doorway or whatever. I'm like, geez, this is weird. But, and then that wound up being the very first time I was on television was on, um, loving. And the first one was, it was a day player selling Dinah Lee Mayberry, a wedding dress. And Tammy Grimes was like the Tammy Grimes came in and bought, it was such a weird storyline. Um, Tammy Grimes came in and bought the like magic wedding dress that Dinah Lee Mayberry wanted to have for her wedding to trucker or some damn thing. <laughs> that was my very first time on a soap. And then, and then of course I became, um, that was my first contract role was on loving. And I was like, God, I watched the very first episode of this show that ever was on. I thought so that was kind of cool. That's totally. amazing. Yeah. 
So how did you, like, even end up in New York to be in the running for the role of Jocelyn that you landed? Well, I moved to New York more or less the day after I graduated high school. I always knew that either the, that that's where I wanted to to be all, you know, for, for, for most of my teenage years. I, I was aware that that's where I was headed. Um, yeah, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts right after high school and studied there for a couple of years and did the, their repertory theater um, f- uh, company for a year or so. Um, and then you you know, work five jobs at a time and you start what we called in those days, pounding the pavement. You know, you're sending out headshots to backstage and trying to get an agent and trying to get, um, you know, get some work, get a reel. In those days it was, it was, uh, you know, put together a, a reel to show people, get an agent. And I guess things haven't really changed other than I think it's probably gotten tremendously more competitive and, um, uh, what, what was that? I guess I did, I did a little movie, uh, that someone saw and I got an agent and I started, you know, going out on auditions. I, I think of everything that I didn't know. I didn't know at that time. And I feel like it's a miracle that I ever, ever booked a job. <laughs> but I guess like when you're that age, like if you just have some instinct, uh, it, it, it takes you far enough. And then you learn, I think a lot of actors kind of learn, you learn what you learn in acting school and from getting up, but, but you kind of learn as certainly in soaps, you learn as you go. There's no two ways about that. I mean, even, even the most seasoned actors that show up on a soap opera for a day or two, it's a different medium and you kind of have to learn as you go. Well, you really should be the envy of everybody listening because your childhood crush ended up being the person you shared your first on-screen kiss with. Oh, so it was Randy man. Mantooth, who was your leading man as Alex on Loving in the City, but who you had watched on Emergency. So tell us what it was like to meet him and what your relationship with him was like. It really was. I have, I have to say to you, I have got so many great, like full circle stories about like, it started like this, like, and this is one of the best. Like it started like, I'm five years old riding a big wheel around the block, you know, in Gross Point, Michigan, you know, saying Rampart, Rampart, Squad 51, KSG 369. We've got an emergency, Johnny. We've got a dangler. And, um, and, and then I grow up and he is my first on-screen kiss, my first on-screen romance. Like I just adored him and I still do. He, he was such, he's such a pro and he was so good to me. And he, you know, th- this, it, it was kind of funny because, because when I started on that show, I was 23, 24. And I mean, he was a good 20 years older than me at that point. Um, and he could have really been a, you know, a, a jackass. I was, I was new to what I was doing and he was obviously a seasoned pro, but he was so good to me as an artist and as an actor and as a partner um, yes, it was true that they like to play practical jokes on that set. Um, but, but, but never, never mean spirited and never unkind. And he, he really was, um, he was just, he was the greatest. He was the greatest introduction for, uh, I mean, look, I was, I, am I allowed to swear? Depends what the word's going to be. <laughs> I was crap in my pants. Like when I, when, when I read the script at like, you know, they, have sex on the desk in uh, Allie's apartment or whatever. I was like, Oh my God. Oh, Oh no. Oh, like, wow. This, I can't, Oh my God. Um, 
but you know he he was he was just he's such such a pro and such a such a cool sweet wonderful guy and a consummate artist that it was just like a dream come true um and and one of those people that when you're working with it's it's just easy because you know they're in it so it makes it easy for everyone else to be in it now, uh, off screen, Lisa, I, I was reading some of your early Digest interviews uh, preparing Uh-oh. for this convo, and I, I learned some new things about your days as a single gal living in New York. Um, for one thing, you went on a date with Billy Idol. That is not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. It's actually. It was actually more than one date, but but I won't. Yeah. Um. Um. You could have been Mrs. Now- Idol. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we had that kind of chemistry. Uh, yeah, I was I was young and and I'm not going to say I okay. I'll put it this way: I was much less wild than most of the other girls my age that were running around uh, in at, at that time. But yeah, like like sure, like I had Billy Idol's picture on my locker when I was 12. So you know, if you 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 meet him out and he asks you out for a drink, like you're not going to not go. Totally, totally. <laughs> You- so yes, he, he was also, he was, um, I, I, what, what I do remember is that he called and left a message on my answering machine and my roommates of which there were about four at the time, like the next morning we're like listening to the things like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> like I've been screaming. I'm like, what, what's going on? <laughs> Billy Idol just left a message on our answering machine. <laughs> so that was a, that was a long, long time ago. And now, you know what? He, it's funny. He played uh at, at my kid's school he played a uh the, their their big fundraiser at the at the beverly hilton's i'm like is he a dad at my kid's school <laughs> like i'm not sure does he just know someone else who's like a record producer at the kid's school or whatever i'm like i couldn't make it to that to that thing but you know you know that would have been a little weird that's hilarious. not really whatever anyway that's really yes. really funny uh, i can't believe i talked about that in an interview that's so weird what a what a rando. Well, you, you also talked about uh, getting drunkenly oh, no. kissed one night by <laughs> David Lee Roth from Van Halen. You know, <laughs> also not untrue. <laughs> um, not untrue, but it, but it wasn't that that makes it sound way. I have I'm going to have to dispel myth because it was that makes it sound way more uh, salacious than it was. That was when I was working at the Royalton, which in the 80s in New York was like the coolest place that anyone could be. And I was the hostess in their fancy Philippe Stark designed lobby. So basically anyone that was anyone like walked in there and it was owned by uh, Schrager and Rubel who had been convicted of a felony. So long story short, I basically was part of my job was telling people that if you bought your drink here, you couldn't step over this line with it. So you're (laughs) telling all these like incredibly wealthy and entitled superstars that like you just spent $27 on a cocktail and you have to stand (laughs) here and not there. And try to explain to them why that is. So that that was it was an interesting job. But so I'm standing there one night, and and I was also like a huge. I mean, I was the biggest David Lee Roth fan as a 12 year old that you could ever imagine. If, if there was the space that was left behind, you know, Tristan Rogers and you know Tony Geary was all reserved for David Lee Roth. So he <laughs> came in with the guy who ran MTV. And, and I just started, I, I, and I never, I never really accosted anyone in that situation, but with David Lee Roth, I had to be just like, oh my God, I'm your biggest fan. And he said, thank you, darling. Thank you. And he <laughs> just grabbed me and gave me a big kiss. So it wasn't like, wasn't like we made out in an alley or did anything interesting. He just very, very nicely grabbed me and gave me a big kiss, which probably nowadays you're not allowed to, <laughs> to do. 
probably wouldn't go over in the same right, way. Right, right. Not in the same way. Not in but the same in the way. But for, for, of me, the 80s, for me, it was cool. Perfect. Yeah, for, for me, for me at that moment, it was pretty cool. Or early, early 90s, to be fair, at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all yeah. right, back back to soaps. So um, sure. you were part of this, like, really history-making transition of loving morphing into the city. Yes, true. What do you remember about that experience? Well, when I think of it in retrospect, it really is how um, – I, I have few regrets in life, uh, but we were, we were so young and idiotic, a lot of the, the like – people on that show, we did not see what that was for some of the people that had been, you know, the, the family that's created on a soap opera and those changes. And we were all just like excited, like, whoopee, we're going to be a new show. It's going to be this, like, whatever, that, whatever. And I think, uh, we did not have the emotional bandwidth and sensitivity to see that like, oh, right. A serial killer is coming to town <laughs> and all these people are watching their best friends, you know, get like encased in plaster and murdered and like they're whatever. Um, so this isn't party time for all these people. I, in retrospect, I can imagine that some of us uh, youngsters were probably incredibly insensitive to the tenor of what was actually going on on that set. Um, and, you know, if I can uh, make any sort of like uh, uh, after the fact apologies to anyone that I... <laughs> You know, could could have been more sensitive to. Uh, I, I I would do that. You know, we were young kids in our twenties. We're so psyched to have a job, and we 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 didn't really see how how hard that was for some of the vets on Loving that were you know losing their jobs and losing their friends and their uh, their other family was being dismantled. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but but you know, the flip side of that is it was incredibly exciting. I had been a fan of Morgan Fairchild my entire life, also. Um, paper dolls, and um, that was the one I really liked. I loved paper dolls. paper dolls. Oh my paper god, I could sing you the theme song right now. <laughs> Remember when she looked at Terry? What's her name? And she was like, "A few less French fries and ice cream cones <laughs> after eight o'clock." <laughs> and I was like, and and I took that as like, oh, like write that down. No more French fries and ice cream cones. That's good. After advice. eight o'clock. Great, great. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Um. And she, so, so getting to meet her and she also, like, I've had no, I've had nothing but great experiences with all the people. I know people often say, you know, be careful about meeting your heroes, but, but all of mine, I guess I picked good heroes because all of mine have been just really delightful and wonderful. She became a dear friend. And even after the city went off the air and I moved out to California, um, you know, we kept in, we kept in touch. I remember she, she took me to a Grand Funk Railroad concert at the, uh, at wow. the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. It was like, I was like, and there was this little, just like another one of those moments. Like, like, I'm at a Grand Funk Railroad concert with Morgan Fairchild. How weird. Like who, who would have thought, <laughs> who thought that was going to happen? Those are elements that I never would have put together, but she is also, you know, she's, she's, she is just the, the pinnacle of that idea of, you know, that, that sort of like beautiful face sex symbol, but people don't expect her to have the mind like a steel trap, you know, and, and such a good heart. And she's, she's just a lovely person, truly. Mm-hmm. Now, when the city went off the air in 1997, did you move to LA? I did. Uh, yeah, my first, I had just done an episode of uh, Law and Order which was, um, by the way, I'll, I'll just toot my own horn here. That was that, that episode became their, uh, their only best show Emmy winning. That was their Emmy winning submission when they, the year that they won best show. And it was 
hypothetically the one that spun off, I guess, SVU because it was like a sex crime. And I guess people love that kind of salacious shit. So, so, so like that, it was, yeah, my, my dad, Bert Young was like a rapist and then I kill him with a baseball bat. Um, that's totally Emmy submission worthy. The, the, yeah, that was, that was the thing. And, and, uh, so I came out to Los Angeles to be the Killian's Irish red girl, believe it or not, which is again, back in the day when anyone could play any ethnicity, they felt like, um, but they put just like a shitload of hair extensions on me, uh, red hair extensions. And I had like a thick Irish accent, which I will not do for you right now. But I, I honest, honestly, I was no, really fine. proud because, because I beat out, like they cast that in the UK, all through Ireland, all through LA and all through New York. And I beat out, um, everyone to play like Irish barmaid with a thick Irish accent. So I was like, that's, that's impressive. really cool. I felt like it was really cool. I would hate, I'm sure if I actually saw the commercials, I would bury myself under mountain. But (laughs) I, at the time I was like, yeah, but you know what? I got picked. So womp womp, you know, it was, so, so that brought me out. Uh, and then I just, I guess I started auditioning out here. Uh, You know, as everyone always says, you come from New York, and you say like, oh, I'll never leave New York. But once you actually get used to the LA lifestyle a little bit and it's sunny and you can, for the same amount that you basically live in a closet, you can live in a house. It's just, and there's more work out here, or at least there was then. And I'm sure there still is. It's just the place that you have to be. So I started, um, you know, working out of here, doing guest stars and, you know, auditioning for shows and and that kind of thing, uh, little films here and there and doing some plays um, and trying to, you know, you kind of have to rebuild yourself out here and, and you don't know what you, oh my God, I, I love this to tell the story. Like when I came out here and I remember my manager was like, okay, I've got a meeting for you with spelling, which at the time was like, you know, that was the hot place with Melrose and 90210 and whatever. Like, okay, so when you go in to meet with their casting person, like you have to look so sexy, like that you have to just be like, hot chocolate like you have to just be the coolest (laughs) like sexiest whatever i'm like okay got it super super sexy what did i wear to this sexy sexy meeting you just know you just think about it for a second picture (laughs) it in your head what did i wear how about plaid pants (laughs) a pair of taupe a pair of taupe colored glen plaid trousers a sweater set a taupe silk like uh, uh um like the lines in it knit uh um sweater set my hair in a bun a pair of glasses and a pair of loafers what in the name of jesus <laughs> and so i know at that time i must have thought that that was some kind of like hot shit sexy way to be and you just look you back were going and like, like in the- a sexy librarian kind of direction i, I guess but even <laughs> sexy librarian like taupe plaid pants and loafers like so that was my best thinking at the time is my (laughs) point in terms of like how I did not exactly take LA by storm in the very very beginning like there were all kind of things that I thought were like a good idea that were just not an LA good idea but you don't know that until you know that you know what I mean (laughs) totally so like those were the kind of things that you know, whatever. I'm sure they were like, what? They probably called my manager and were like, what the, f- who, 
who was this? Was <laughs> who styled her? Right, who styled and, her? And, and is I was, the word the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Do, did it myself. Also her. Guys, yes. Did it myself. <laughs> All me. And I was, you know, whatever. I was kind of weird. I, you forget when you're young. I, I have so much sympathy now, or for for the the awkwardness of young people like when they you know you say dumb stuff and you don't know who you are and you're kind of a pain in the ass a lot of the time I mean sometimes not but you're like ah right they're 22 (laughs) (laughs) you know like I was probably the most I thought I was mature with my sweater set my loafers and my plaid pants but I I'm sure I was the most annoying to any actual adult the most (laughs) annoying thing that could be in proximity so anyway Anyway, right. I, I digress. Yeah. That's funny. So, okay. So you are in LA. Um, in 2004, we know that you auditioned to play the recast Lois on General yes. Hospital. Had you been like wanting a soap gig in those intervening years? I, I think you told me a story about auditioning for Y&R ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. I auditioned. And, and at, when I did the Y&R thing, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be on a soap yet, but they, they it was a nice, like the, the contract, the, the offer was nice. And I was like, oh, you know, it, I think it was like two years. And little did I know I was about a week and a half pregnant when I went in for that. I did not know what I'm like, what is wrong with me? I have never felt so terrible. I f- ran off the set and threw up. I was like the color of a frog's belly. It was so, I remember they had to, they, they airbrush tanned me, uh, to go out and do my second scene, which was a crying scene with Doug Davidson. And I was like rivulets of like brown makeup flowing. I was <laughs> probably the worst screen test that they have ever, ever seen. But anyway, luckily, you know, I didn't get that because I found out a week and a half later, I was pregnant with Luke. So we know that that was about 19 years ago. Uh, but then the general hospital thing, I, I, I definitely, yeah, being on general hospital would, would at that time I would have been, was, was very psyched at the prospect. Luke was, I'm not sure how old I had really taken myself out of the running for anything and just gone off and been a mom. And I was very keen to get back into, to working a little bit. Um, so that, that came up and, um, Certainly the idea of, you know, I, I knew the character of Lois very well and knew that it was going to be, would have been hard shoes to step into. Um, but I felt like they knew me and they liked me. I will say that when I saw Leslie Kay at the test and I was like, oh my God, she's like a dead ringer for Rena. All the stuff I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is, this, this might not go my way. You have those, those thoughts as an actor. But I do remember that would have been my first time working with Wally. Um, and we did the screen test. Wally and I did the screen tests and I do remember who, I don't remember who directed those tests. I got some weird note for the second scene of like, I, I, I want you to smile the entire time you do this scene. <laughs> and I was like, this, this is not a happy scene though, but I tried to do it. And I'm sure I look like some sort of like horrible, deadly, like rictus or something because it, it certainly didn't look natural. And I definitely walked out that day going like, well, that one's not happening for you. Um, but uh, it wasn't that long. I wasn't that. Uh, when did the One Life to Live thing come up? Like that was really the on the heels thing. of that. Yeah. I, I wondered if they like saw that amazing screen test with the smiling and thought with the, with the, with you the should the smiling, come to One Life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, no. You know what it was? This is the, the amazing screen test, which uh, is actually Julie Madison oh, did. To, I did an amazing screen test with Michael Easton for One Life to Live preceded General Hospital. That's how, what the timing was. I flew to New York to do a screen test with Michael Easton for the role of like some sidekick cop of his. And that screen test was, okay, again, I'll, I'll blow my horn again. That screen test was hot shit. Yeah, that was a really good screen test. And we, I, that, was, that, was, that was good. Uh, but they gave that role, they made that role recurring, gave it to someone else, and then wrote for me the role that I then eventually did play, which was um, Sonia Toledo-Santi, which was probably best forgotten in the tomes of, <laughs> of soap opera history. Um, I believe that role was voted like the worst written role in the history of daytime television or some <laughs> damn thing. Like it, it really, it, it was like a, I think like they had to clear the decks on the writing team after the Santi thing. It just, it just, it just, it was a swing. I think there was like a swing for the bleachers and it just didn't all work out for a number of different reasons maybe not the least of which was me playing Puerto Rican, which again would not happen today, mm-hmm. but I always like to say like, dude, they wrote it for me. It was not my fault. Um, <laughs> so I was sort of like the head of the Puerto Rican mafia, but then I was like an FBI agent trying to take down the Puerto Rican mafia. Not unlike Dante really in the Sonny mm-hmm, Corinthos mm-hmm. thing. Um, but it was, it was just, uh, it was not a, a working, a working storyline. And so, uh, uh, yeah, we moved, moved Luke and got him into school. I mean, that was really a cluster F that was no fun, but it was, it was, it was actually, it was nice being there for, for a few months and having some work and getting back into the game and stuff and meeting Frank and meeting all those people who, you know, are friends to this day. So it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good short chapter in my life and got me back into working after having gone away being a mom. So that was, I was very grateful to that job for that reason. Um, you have to tell Steph the story of you getting in trouble with Frank on the set because of Michael oh my Easton God. making you laugh. He really made me laugh. I was like the bad lady and it was supposed to be this sort of film noir scene of like, we're, and I'm going to say this to you and you're going to be like, oh really, mister? Because such and such and so, so, and, and he ad libs. I think you better get out of here. Uh, I think you better get out on the street before someone impounds your scooter. Okay. Like granted, it's not like it's the greatest joke you ever heard, but in the context of the scene, it made me laugh so hard. And then he started laughing and then I started, and then they kept going back to one and trying to do the thing. And I remember my dad was visiting that day. So my dad is standing there and I'm trying to be a professional and we, cu- we couldn't get through the scene without laughing our head. Like, we couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it to the point where Frank had to be like, all right, you off the set made Michael do his lines to nobody and made me go back <laughs> on and do my lines to nobody. Which if you have, like, that is, that is like some serious, like, nursery school sit in the corner situation. <laughs> but you should, you do feel, I, I, I hope that every adult listening to this has at some point had that experience of like, you literally cannot control it. And you're no matter what part of your logical brain is going like, this is not funny. You must stop laughing. You cannot do this. You, and, and you, you can't, and you can't. And so, yeah, Michael Easton and I will always have that. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm very, and that's definitely happened to me. And De- it yeah, happened same. to me at a funeral. So um, that it's, might be worse. It's terrible. Yeah. It's the worst feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's worse, but like, it's pretty bad. It's uh, pretty bad. It's up there. Now, after Sonia came and went, you did try for GH again, but as Kate Howard, the role that initially went to Megan Ward. So what do you remember about testing for that part? And that would have been the first time you met Maurice? Yes, that was when they did that. It was one of the tests that they did um, not on the stage, but in Jill's office with like a million people in there. And they had you come in and sort of do... And, and there was a whole scene where you're supposed to kiss him and all this stuff. And, and obviously, well, 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 let me digress for one minute. I remember my very first audition for any soap opera was with Betty Ray for Guiding Light. And this was when I was a very young kid in New York. And it says in the script, like, she kisses the whatever, this character kisses someone else. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to be a professional. And I'm going to ask the reader may I kiss you? And of course he'll say yes. And then the scene will go on. And so I walk in, okay. Okay. So may I kiss you? He was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> I remember like just completely like blew my boat out of the water. But anyway, like I thought I was super pro, but anyway, so, you know, 20 years later, I know not to try to um, kiss Maurice in the audition. And I'm like, what am I going to do instead? And I remember walking up to him and I smelled him. I, I like got very close uh-huh. in and just like, just like smelled him very deeply. Um, and it really works in the context of like a physical behavior that's sort of like intimate without being actual physical contact or rapey or weird. And it, it really, I, I, I actually think I might've freaked out Maurice just a just a touch. <laughs> and furthermore, I told that story to Tony Geary when he was playing like bad Luke uh-huh. under like in disguise. And we did a scene together where he's supposed to like do something creepy to me. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I remember in my audition for the one and I smell, he goes, that's a great idea. And he did that. And we did one scene and he like, at the end of the scene, he like leaned in and like smelled me and then like walked off. And I'm like, Oh my God, that is so effing creepy. That's a very creepy thing to do to someone like without touching, like something that you can do without touching someone that is incredibly invasive and like not right thing to do. (laughs) Um, but yes, that was a good, um, a very good audition that one for, for Kate. And they called my people. I remember leaving thinking like, well, something good happened in there. And they called my people and said, we actually have something better for her coming down the pike. Cause that, that whole audition was about seeing the two sides of that character, seeing her be very sort of uptight, you know, erudite patrician, and then flip when she gets mad into what Olivia winds up being now, or, you know, at least was she was when she started on the show. Um, so that, and that, and that was something that was really in my wheelhouse um, to play both sort of like snotty and stuck up and then also sort of like, Brooklyn ruffian. Um, but they, they said to my agent, we have something, we're going to go another way with this one, but we swear we have something better for her coming up very shortly. And, you know, you kind of take that with a grain of salt. You're like, Oh boy, like maybe they'll remember, maybe they won't. Um, I believe what I have been told, and I don't know if I to take this seriously or not. I believe what they had in mind was maybe bringing me back as Brenda 
which, as we all know, would have been like the literally biggest disaster. Like, I, I think even as much as I wanted to be on the show, I would have had to say, like, that's a bad idea. I won't do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Of like, course, yes, you're talking yeah. to two like, big Sunny and Brenda just, fans here. <laughs> you would be I mean, you'd, you'd be an absolute idiot to take that on. You there is I mean, there is so no winning that. And there, like no one is Vanessa and certainly no one is Vanessa and Maurice. So that's just what I mean, at the time I had, you know, long, dark hair and, you know, thick eyebrows. So it's like so it's like, yeah, sure, I, I, I get it. Um, and there have been in my lifetime um, people who have asked me for my autograph and thought that I was uh, her and been very disappointed to see my name written on the paper. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, sorry, folks. Um, but um, that's what they, th- I think they were thinking. But then as time went on, I think they wanted to see more of that Brooklyn thing out of the character of Kate that, that they were, that, that, that they had at the time. So I think they just separated it into another character mm-hmm. and, and Bob created, um, Olivia for me and wanted to do this son of Sonny thing, which I think was what Kate was going to be about originally. So that was, I think that was the genesis of all that. They, they wanted to see the, uh, more of a, of a rough Brooklyn presence to be the mother of, of, of Sonny's son. Okay. So tell us about like, when you walk in, you're now a cast member at GH, but you've been watching it since you were like eight. So like, yeah. were there people that you were particularly starstruck by in the beginning? Well, obviously Maurice, my first scenes were with Maurice and I had met him, you know, obviously briefly that day. And he, you know, did say how much he liked my, I had liked my audition and that, that, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I remember that that the material for that first day, I worked that with every single, every person I knew that could talk, read and stand up. I was like, (laughs) let me run this. Can I, can I just run the scene with you just to like, see what kind of nuance you could bring out of it and and really be on top of your game when you walk in. I remember, you know, who, who who was really sweet was Tuck Watkins, um, took an afternoon and like worked it with me. Um, cause I'd been out of the game for a, a long time and he's was such a sweetheart from, from one life. I remember, um, so shout out Tuck Watkins. Um, and, and, and certainly walking in that day and going up to that bar set and doing those scenes with Maurice was like otherworldly. And it is, and, and he really is that, that thing of like, you, you can't not be in it when you're working with him. You just, you, you like feel what's coming out of his eyes. And I know I've said it before. He's like the snake in the jungle book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like his eyes are going around and, and you can't, you can't not be in that world that you two people are inhabiting if, you know, so, so you have to know where your character is coming from and what, it, and, and then you're just, you're off to the races. You know, he, 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 you know, there's a, there's a reason why he has held people's attention to the level that he has for this many years in this character. Um, I mean, how many other people, performers can you say that of very very few i've had this conversation with him very many you know a lot of times how many actors have 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 held the public's attention in the way that he has in this character for how many years is it now what uh, start, 1993 he started so Jesus 20, 27 this year that's crazy i mean it's it's amazing mm-hmm. it's amazing um so yeah, that that would have been the first one. And he, let's see, I worked with him originally and then 
with Kirsten and with Megan. And, you know, of course, I knew Laura very well from us working on. So uh, as much as I was happy to work with her, with Starstruck wouldn't be exactly what it was because we've been roommates in real life. But what about just like like Stuart Damon in the hallway or Leslie Charlson in the hallway? Like that would be crazy. Stuart wasn't around at that time, but Leslie for sure. I mean, Jackie Zeman, mm-hmm. absolutely. That that like blew me away. And it was little things like, oh my God, I'm sitting at Kelly's ordering a sandwich. Oh my God, I'm in those like elevator doors with like the circle painted on them. I can't believe the door is going to open and I'm going to be standing there. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Um, um, who, who else would have been a big, uh, well, you've part got of- Tony Geary, you've got Ken Tony Geary, for sure. Um, for sure. Ken, know. I mean, um, you know, when Robin Matson came back, that wasn't exactly early on in my, in my run there, but like working with Robin Matson was like certainly a dream come true. <laughs> um, um, oh, some of the, old. I mean, there was a brief time when, when Sean Donnelly came back for a hot second. Mm hmm. Um, and that was because I loved Sean and Tiffany. Um, and I mean, you know, Finola now is one of my best friends, but the first time I ran into her there was like, Oh my God, you know? And of course, Tristan, I mean, I've, I've told the story so many times, but like he, he had been pre-warned that, that like I was a super (laughs) fan and I'd had the, 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 the fan letter that I wrote him when I was probably nine years old. Um, taped to the outside of my dressing room door about like, dear Mr. Rogers, uh, dear Mr. Rogers, you are the favorite actor of me and many of my friends. You play Robert Scorpio on the <laughs> television show, General Hospital. Um, get the, get, keep up the good work and get that ice princess, no matter what you do. Like, good one. Good one. Uh, so I had that taped to my door. Um, but he had been pre-warned that, that like, yeah, yeah, I was a cuckoo super fan and he came like walking up to me in my memory is like slow motion. I'm sitting there with my husband and I'm just like, like, like hyperventilating, like probably (laughs) snotting, snot coming out of my nose. My husband's like, what's wrong with you? Like, what is, what is wrong with you? He's like, just say hi, just say hi, just say hi. What's wrong with you? And he couldn't have been, I mean, obviously he couldn't have been nicer. And, um, and then, you know, you know, I had told that story so many times that the writers sort of took off with with that as as, you know, Olivia has a, like a schoolgirl crush on him just for his, you know, sexy Australianness and stuff. And I actually think that they may be uh, they're, they're writing us some some nice scenes right now that some that haven't aired. But um, they they do. These these writers are sort of having fun with that as a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's just a that's joy fun. and a treat. Yeah. Yes. Um, now you've said that you consider the initial, like Olivia secretly had Sunny Sun arc to be the golden age for Olivia. So what yeah. stands out to you about that early era and Sunny shooting Dante mm-hmm. and all of that good stuff? Well, I mean, like having that big a secret um, is, a, is, you know, gives you a lot of material to play. You have to sort of be sort of, thinking on a lot of levels all the time. So as an actor, that's, that's, you know, very engaging and and fun to do. And, and just, you know, the depth of, of drama that you're playing with keeping a child safe and keeping a child safe from someone that you in fact still love, but also fear, but you fear more for your child and you fear for the relationship you have with that child to be out and 
and uh, like, like what is the most important thing in there? It's like hard, hard to decide on any given day. What's the thing that you're trying to protect the most? You never, of course, as that character think that it's going to be that Sonny's going to like, shoot him, but you know, you know, his life is in danger, but you're also feel that your relationship is in danger. If he finds out the truth, if Sonny finds out the truth, that's been the thing that, 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 that character had spent her entire life had been her primary goal was to keep that secret. What she suffered to keep that secret, you know, in her community to say like, oh, you know, I slept with so many guys, it could have been anybody like that would have been a big deal for a Catholic teenager in the 80s, you know. So uh, there was there was just a lot. There was a lot to to play. And it was so great going to work every day, like, cause, cause Mo was really into that story. And Dom, once they found Dominic, I mean, it was such a treat, like, cause Dom was such a talent and was so into it. And his chemistry with Maurice, his chemistry with Julie and our, our chemistry, uh, he felt like family from day one. So it was just, um, it, it really was, it was a good time. I think for, for all of us, we all talk about that. Um, Sometimes, um, we know when we get together, what, what fun we had at that time, seeing where that story was going to go and really jumping into it every day together. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It's not every, uh, you know, general hospital star that gets mocked by Stephen Colbert. So well done to you. Very true. Very, very true. I, I have that on my comedy reel still to this day. What what Um, was the the moment of you just shot your own son? You just shot your son. We're we're, he he's like we're standing here at the scene of the crime with on something reporter Olivia Falconeri. Oh my God, Sonny, you just shot your own son! Oh my God! Oh my God! You know, at that time we were also on uh, David Letterman's list. Uh, David Letterman did a thing of it was ten his his ten signs that your general has gone off the rails or something. And number like eight was this storyline between this, this romance between Sonny and Olivia is going nowhere. And he goes, no, no, no. That's signs that your general hospital is going off the rails. Cause he was talking about a general in the army who was doing something crazy at the time. And we're like, we're on the David Letterman list. That's pretty awesome. That was, that was really weird. And I happened to actually just be watching it. So you want to talk about surreal? I'm like, oh wait a minute. It's very mad. Letterman just <laughs> what? That was weird. Legitimately weird. Yeah. So I would imagine. Anyway. Um, okay. So Johnny's uh, Johnny was Olivia's first big relationship on the show. Yes. Uh, outside of that, um, and I know you enjoyed working with Brandon Barash. Tell us about uh, that working relationship. Yeah, that was meant to be just like a mistake. That was like, why do I want to say it might have been was it during the writer's strike or something like something was going on or someone was on vacation or whatever. And they, they just needed a, like some kind of a cliffhanger for a weekend thing. So they're like, okay, we're just going to like throw Johnny and Olivia together for whatever. And the fans really dug it and really, really went for it. And so they really started to write it. And for whatever reason, it really, really worked. I think our chemistry was really good and we enjoyed working together and, uh, it, it was one of those things. I mean, it, on the one hand, I know that at that time, my place in their minds was, was to be this, be doing this thing with Sonny. But it, I, I think that possibly taking that detour is one of the things that, um, kept me from sort of like dwelling over that trap door of 
like Brenda bots that come in for Sonny. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sort of diversified the character a little more and, and, and gave her another, another way to go and her own voice in a sense that, that was, um, uh, that was out of Sonny's orbit. Do you know, which, which, you know, as we all know, can make for a short lived character. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, in the, in the years that I've been there, it's like, okay, well, here's another, here's, a, here's another brute, so, petite brunette for Sunny that's probably brunette. not going to last very long. Right. So, I mean, I, I do think that ultimately it, it, it's probably was good for, for Olivia's longevity on the, um, on the canvas and, um, you know, not to, not to be mercenary about it either. I think it was good storytelling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fans, the fans enjoyed it and, 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 you know, working with Brandon was great. Um, and, uh, and, and it, and it stirred up good stuff with, uh, with him and Dominic, mm-hmm. you know, we always did point out like age wise that, that every, like the insults that get, were getting hurled at Olivia for like dating a man <laughs> nine years younger than she was. Like it's you disgusting cradle robber, <laughs> you horrible monster. It was like, whatever, like. Believe me when I tell you that the 20 years younger Jocelyn and, and Alex Masters, nobody said shit other than other than when Jane Elliott came on um, the city to be Tracy Quartermain. And she apparently that character had dated Alex Masters, Randolph Matches, and she walks in and sees us together and Jane ad libbed. And this is, I assume, <clears throat> your daughter. <laughs> That's and I funny. was like. Finally, like, like one, one person addresses it in some way, but, but no. Um, yeah, that, that, that was, that was another, that those two storylines at the same time. I mean, that was, that was a lot of acting. <laughs> that was a lot of acting to do day to day in and day out. Um, and it was, you know, I was, I was, I was psyched to be jumping back into that and, and, um, you know, and those were the days where scenes were a lot longer. When you watch scenes from that time, when you watch the scenes of us like having that that uncomfortable Christmas dinner at Sonny's house, mm-hmm. like those scenes go on not as long as they did in the eighties, but they they do go on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, you really do have to have to had to prep that stuff and be ready to, you know, you you couldn't pull your script out from behind a pillow every five seconds and you know check your lines you really had to know know what you were doing and we we had it we had a good time and 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 when claudia claudia too i mean that that stuff was great mm-hmm. i loved working with sarah brown too um now i think fans would probably say their favorite love interest for olivia has been wally kurtz ned um who yes. she ended up marrying and you got to fulfill what i imagine was your childhood <laughs> dream of living in the quarter main mansion um, i mean <laughs> Listen, they even redecorated it for us. <laughs> right, now. right. And it looks great. I think it looks really great. Those sort of like cool, icy hues. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, um, so tell us about working with Wally. Oh my God. I, I mean, I, I know it's, I'm going to sound like I'm full of crap when I keep saying nice things about people, but he, it, it, I, I've just been very, very, very lucky. You couldn't, you couldn't get a better, you know, everyday partner. He, he's, he, like me, he likes to run lines. He likes to work. He likes to play with stuff. Um, 
you know, uh, um, he's so, he's just, he's funny. He's respectful. He's so talented. And I, I love, you know, the fact that he's also a singer, uh, you know, pushes us into the nurse's ball every year for better or for worse. Um, and, for and better. just, I, well, you know, I, it's yeah. definitely fun for me, not necessarily fun. And for I got yours, to see you in your cute little costume in the flesh last year. I was very excited. Oh my beautiful. goodness. It was, you know, it, it was, it, it was, we went, we were going to uh, a 70s variety show. Um, so he, he's just, you know, he's, he's a treat. Um, and being part of that world and that storyline is, again, just yet another bucket list item that you didn't necessarily know you had. And you're like, oh, right, I'm a quarter me now. Mm-hmm. I can sign things. I can sign my, my pictures, Olivia Q. <laughs> Pretty awesome. And again, you know, like 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 on the day of the wedding, and it's like I'm walking down the aisle in a wedding dress, and like Jeannie Francis is looking at me, like what? <laughs> Tell that to yourself when you're 12. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, one day you're going to be getting married, and she's going to be watching. Like that is not even a thing, but it <laughs> it was it was a thing. That's really amazing. So, Lisa, I'm going to hit you with a crazy number, but what does it mean to you that 2020? The year that we are in marks yes. the 25th anniversary of your daytime debut and that you've managed to have this amazing longevity of 11 plus years on, on GH as well. Is that right? 25 years? I guess that's true. Uh, wow. Um, that is really, it's, it's really lovely when I think of it like that because you know, and this it, it's it's not like the character is always at the top of the totem pole in terms of like importance on the canvas. But even when you're not, and it's something that Tristan said to me one one time when we were we were off on, at a fan event having a drink at the hotel. I was like, listen, kid, you're not always going to be the front of the storyline. You're not always going to be at the top of the heap. And that's and then you you learn your lines and you come in and you do your work. I'm like, dude, I wasn't complaining. I swear to God. But um, um, but but that why do I think that is? I, I, I feel like I'm easy to work with. I, I am not, my coworkers have laughed at me sometimes and they're like, dude, you're not going to go up and fight about like, I'm like, no, it's, I'm hallucinating a dog and a baby Bjorn wearing a party hat. Like happens all the time. Like like it happens. And, and like, and I'm going to like really commit to it. Like I'm going to pretend like it really is a thing that is happening to me and is very traumatizing. Like, like what, like what? Um, I, I do think that, you know, the powers that be appreciate that. And, and maybe that comes from the fact that I've been watching this all my life and you go like, you know, figure out a way to, to, to make that work and make that real for you. And, and, and I never say like, my character would never do this. Well, like what if they did? It's my job to figure out a way to, make it so that she would do that to, to, to justify her doing that thing. That's because the best I think attitude we're all to like, have. <laughs> totally. Well, as, as human beings, we're all capable under the right circumstances of just about anything, whether we like it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. So there've been a couple, you know, question marks. I'm like, I don't know if she would, like, oh, well, you know, let, let's see what happens if she does do it, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, you know, that, that, that is, that is really nice. I mean, I, 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 I look at that, at those numbers and I say, good for me. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Indeed. Totally. Well, good for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. It was really fun to look back on your career and learn more My about pleasure. you. 
and um, hope to talk to you soon. Yes, my pleasure. I'll see you guys all very soon. Emmy's coming up. That's right. Mm -hmm. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Lisa Lowe Cicero for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. Please be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.